The Hamlet Podcast, episode 73. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hanmerty. Last time, we began Act 3 with Claudius trying to get whatever information he could from Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. The two gentlemen were not exactly forthcoming, but we left off with their mentioning that the players have arrived and that Hamlet is eager for them to perform tonight. At this point, Polonius chimes in, since he was also part of the previous scene and can vouch for this information. He says, "'Tis most true. And he beseeched me to entreat your majesties to hear and see the matter." If Hamlet did ask Polonius to beg Claudius and Gertrude to come to this performance, he did so off stage. Are we subtly being asked not to trust the old man here? There are so many competing and conflicting narratives and agendas in this court that even such a little line as this can seem tinged with malice. Polonius is certainly a busybody, and he's constantly currying favour with the king and queen. If Claudius and Gertrude are eager to know what Hamlet might be doing with his time, and Rosencrantz has suggested that he's excited about the players, then of course Polonius might try to dive in and involve the king and queen like this. Or maybe Hamlet did indeed seek him out to enlist his help in ensuring that Claudius will come and watch the play. Claudius might be wary of a direct request from Hamlet, so it could absolutely make sense for this to be the case. Either way, Polonius has now made it clear that Hamlet wants their majesties to come and hear and see the play. It's curious, this, and doubtless scholars have made much of this phrase by Shakespeare. The first thing they should do is hear and also see the play. Some have suggested that this is because for Shakespeare it was all about the words, 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 and that the visuals of a play, whether design, costume, pageantry, you name it, were somewhat secondary elements. This is of course no longer the case and we absolutely go to the theatre to watch. However, others have written that this is Shakespeare conditioning us to understand how the structure of the player's performance works, since every scene of it begins with a dumb show that is narrated. Hearing and seeing are both important, certainly. Polonius has now managed to whet the king's appetite with Hamlet's invitation, and the king responds, with all my heart, and it doth much content me to hear him so inclined. Good gentlemen, give him a further edge, and drive his purpose on to these delights. Claudius is delighted to hear that Hamlet is showing interest in something, that perhaps the moody gloom might lift. He encourages the younger men to keep at him, to give him further edge, or encourage him even more enthusiastically. He wants them to drive Hamlet's purpose on to these delights. Now that he's expressed some interest, he wants them to make sure that he doesn't back out or slip back into the gloom. Our two young friends agree, as ever it's Rosencrantz who gets to speak, and then they exit. We shall, my lord. Claudius also dismisses Gertrude, explaining the plan that he and Polonius have developed. Sweet Gertrude, leave us too. For we have closely sent for Hamlet hither, that he, as twere by accident, may here affront Ophelia. Her father and myself, lawful espials, will so bestow ourselves that, seeing unseen, we may of their encounter frankly judge, and gather by him, as he is behaved, 
if it be the affliction of his love or no, that thus he suffers for. No more than Hamlet might have beseeched Polonius for help in getting Claudius into his trap, now the king reveals that he's playing just as many games. He has somehow closely, whether that's secretly or privately or some such, sent for Hamlet to be brought here, so that, as it were by accident, he might bump into Ophelia. Polonius spoke earlier of loosing his daughter on him, and this is it. Sweet Gertrude might be one too many people to hang around trying to see it without being seen, so Claudius suggests that she leave. He and Polonius will bestow themselves, or hide, so that they can observe this encounter when it happens without being seen themselves. The folio text has Claudius call himself and Polonius lawful espials. I find this quite intriguing. Why would the king ever have to explain his own actions as lawful? Why would anyone ever turn to his wife and mention that something he's doing is perfectly legal, unless it perhaps isn't? The word espials comes from Old French, and it's just another word for a spy. So he's saying he and Polonius will be lawful spies, watching this setup encounter between Hamlet and Ophelia, for their own good, of course. By hiding themselves behind a curtain or an arras, as Polonius suggested not too long ago, they can observe the encounter and frankly judge what's happening, and ascertain from Hamlet's behaviour whether or not he's behaving like this because of his love for Ophelia. Any grammatical sticklers will already have noticed that Shakespeare ended Claudius's sentence with a preposition. And while I'd love to tell you this is his means of subtly proving the king's poor character, it's actually nothing of the sort. Grammatical rules like this one were enforced rather fanatically in the middle of the 20th century. There's a famous story about Winston Churchill insisting that such bad grammar was the kind of thing up with which he would not put. Certainly, in a formal treatise, it is to be avoided and one should not end with a preposition. But Shakespeare is writing for actors to speak on a stage. He's writing poetry and he wasn't really troubled with such rules, many of which came from French or even from Latin. Think of Iago in Othello, deriding the idea of being emotionally vulnerable, mocking the notion that he might wear my heart upon my sleeve for daws to peck at. If you're worrying about the preposition in that iconic line, I think you're missing the point. So Claudius and Polonius will hide somewhere on the stage to eavesdrop and to supervise. If Gertrude has an opinion about their quote-unquote lawful behaviour, she doesn't share it, but simply says... I shall obey you. Before she leaves, she turns to Ophelia and we get a completely different perspective, almost on the entire story. And for your part, Ophelia, I do wish that your good beauties be the happy cause of Hamlet's wildness. So shall I hope your virtues will bring him to his wanted way again, to both your honours. Gertrude wishes that Ophelia's beauties are indeed the cause of Hamlet's wildness. She'd be delighted if that were the case. That way, perhaps, Ophelia's virtues, or her good character, might eventually bring Hamlet back around to his wanted way, or back to normal, back to what she hopes for him, or what is expected of him, even. She ends with the phrase, to both your honours. This seems to me like a subtle hint that she's hoping that Ophelia will not only help Hamlet snap out of it, but that it'll eventually lead to marriage, and thereby an honourable change in status for her. If she marries a prince, she'll likewise become royalty. 
There's an echo here of what Ophelia said much earlier, that Hamlet importuned her in honourable fashion. Back then, Polonius immediately picked up on the word fashion and twisted it around, making it a rather negative thing. But he ignored Hamlet's honourable behaviour. In this rather different perspective that Gertrude is presenting, it's no accident that she echoes the other half of Ophelia's description. Even if Polonius and Laertes are at pains to warn Ophelia off this connection with Hamlet, the Queen has no problem at all with it. In fact, it seems like she'd be very happy with it. This interaction is very small, certainly, but I think it's crucial information. We'll certainly need to remember it much later in the play. Gertrude hasn't said very much at all in the play so far, but this scene has given us a little insight into her character, into how she responds with Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, perhaps into her relationship with Claudius via that word lawful alone, if nothing else, and now certainly into her very positive relationship with Ophelia. Just as we're starting to see her as a real person, however, she has to exit at her husband's behest. Her speech ended with half a line, to both your honours, which Ophelia completes, saying, Madam, I wish it may. Ophelia would just as much like to help Hamlet back to his wonted way and to whatever honours might ensue, not least because of this connection with Gertrude. As we've discussed before, Mrs Polonius has no presence in the play, and in this very masculine world, Ophelia has no mother figure other than Gertrude, the only other woman in the play. For now, she has exited, leaving Ophelia very much alone, soon to be the bait for this trap for Hamlet. We'll continue the setup of this peculiar trap in the next episode. Thank you very much, as ever, for listening, and I bring you news that thanks to a large majority of votes in the poll last week, I will indeed bring back the newsletter at the beginning of next month. You can sign up for it on the website, thehamletpodcast.com, where, as I'm sure you know by now, you can listen to all previous regular and bonus episodes. You can find show notes and full text for every scene we've completed. Soon there'll also be an A to Z glossary of all the things we've discussed on the show. There's also Twitter, Facebook and Instagram with the handle at Hamlet Podcast, and I'd love to hear from you. Speak to you next week.